Well, good morning. Good to see everyone is here. And for uh, mid-August morning, I think we have a pretty good crowd here. Some of you are back from vacations, and we're glad you're back. Others are gone, of course. Um, but relatively, uh, we, are, we are doing pretty well as far as sicknesses and so forth are concerned. We're glad everybody's here. I know there are visitors in the audience, and we're thankful for your being here. I hope we make you feel welcome, and I'm sure I trust the people here will do that, and you'll want to come back and be with us often. Today, that is after afternoon services, we'll meet here at 4 o'clock, and then after those services, right next door, to my left over here, but right next door, we're going to meet in the backyard as we do each year, and uh, we'll, it, we'll have... Uh, I'm sure a lot of good food. If the uh, sports day at Carteret's any indication, there will be an abundance of food. Um, and we'll have some singing and enjoy being together. So if you're here and you want to come, we're, you're more than welcome to come. Um, and, uh, you know, just make sure you bring a lawn chair because we don't have that many chairs over there. But uh, make sure you bring that, something good for me to eat. And uh, grab a songbook. <laughs> Grab a song book and bring it over there, but uh, you're welcome, and we love to see you over there. Today, we're going to continue to talk about things, and we're turning to a very practical, I'm going to have a couple of lessons in the next few weeks, that are very practical means of fostering unity in the Lord's church. We want to be identified by that. We want that to be one of the things, certainly one of the characteristics, one of the identifying marks of our church here. Along those lines, and considering what we're doing today, and I did this intentionally, I want us to talk about the idea of socializing. Um, Socializing and uh, the idea of what we do when we socialize, the effect it has, and this is in conjunction very much with last week's sermon. So let's go back for just a moment and consider 2 Corinthians 6, and if you'll turn over to that passage and look at 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 14, and the idea of be not unequally yoked together. Now, I'm not going to go back through talking about the yoke and the discipline and the teaching and the submission to that teaching and all of that per se. I'm not going to look so much at that this morning as I did last week. But let's just remind ourselves that if we are talking about being yoked together in the New Testament, the focus is on teaching. Or maybe when we're looking at it as I'm applying it at least in these couple of lessons, more so on what we are learning as Christians, as people, in our close association. Again, we talked quite a bit last Sunday morning about those close ties we have and that close association that we, that we create between ourselves and with certain other people. But what do we learn when we're so closely connected to one another? What influence is coming from those people to whom we are closely tied? You know, what beliefs practices are shared between those that are, quote-unquote, closely connected to one another. And so we look at it from this standpoint, and we mentioned this last week. Let's do it again so today and preface what I'm going to say about socializing. The problem in being closely connected, and of course it can be a great benefit, but the problem can come when you're tied together with someone on even a daily basis is what you learn from the other person. And to what you find yourself submitting. Remember that whole idea of the yoke of Jesus? Submit to me, you know, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And we submit to his teaching, etc., etc. 
So if I'm closely connected, if I'm yoked together with someone, what am I submitting to? What am I learning? What am I beginning to follow? All of those ideas. And you may remember also, my burden is easy, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I talked about that that idea and that phrase and how it speaks to something that's being furnished to you, given to you in that sense. And the question is, and, and it's when you're talking about a yoke or a, a, a discipline that you're following, is something that becomes useful or suitable. I'll give you a quick, basic, worldly example. Those of you, and I know there are several of you that, that were involved in martial arts, maybe when you were younger and so forth. A lot of times martial arts is spoken of as a discipline. And certainly you submit to the teachings of that you know, sensei or whoever you might be. Now, the idea that you're doing that, the reason you're doing that is because you find the ability to, you know, learn to fight, learn to use your body, and all of the self-control and everything that goes with it, the whole discipline, you find it suitable or useful, you know, to protect yourself. Or, as I say, if, you know, in in my case, one of the reasons I needed to do it was to learn some self-control and that kind of thing. But it's suitable to you. It's useful for you. Another point that we made is that when we're looking at this phrase, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, think about what Paul is really saying. Figuratively, it means to associate. You can look at all these terms that are used here. To associate discordantly, unequally. In other words, the one doesn't fit with the other. The one is not in accordance, we would say, with with the other. And so you're being unequally yoked together. There are terms that are used here. In fact, let me just put some of them up. How about just put that one up? Let me back up and do that again. There we go. There are terms that are used here that talk about the idea of keeping company. I know down south we used to use a phrase. Maybe they still do. But when someone would begin dating a person or, uh, you know, form a relationship with someone, you would talk about, quote, unquote, keeping company with. And it was the idea of becoming closer And the idea of learning the other person and getting to know the other person and all, and, you know, obviously, uh, many times with the ultimate aim of being married to that individual. These are all terms. Notice the list here. And I'm not going to read through the passage again. But the idea of what fellowship has, that word means, and they're all different terms, interestingly enough, all very synonymous but different terms. So, What participation has the one with the other? Partnership, sharing, has righteousness with unrighteousness. Or what communion? This is literally our word for fellowship that's often used in the New Testament. So what fellowship? What do you share in common? That is, what does light share in common with darkness? Nothing. I mean, they are completely opposites one of the other. What concord? The word there is a word we generally use in music. And it's the idea of harmonizing. When we sang these songs that Jeremy led for us this morning, and one person sang alto, another tenor, uh, still another bass or soprano, we were harmonizing. And we did a pretty good job. I mean, it was, it was very nicely done, and people can sing well at this place. But the harmony there, it, literally like a symphony where you have maybe a hundred instruments that come together and harmonize as they play music. High notes, low notes, etc., etc., All of that. What concord does Christ have with Belial or Belial? 
it's a term for Satan. And it speaks to how unprofitable, even worthless to your well-being, Satan is. What part? Literally here, the idea of part is a portion or a share of something. You know, if we have a, a pie brought over today to the potluck, and I sincerely hope we do, but if we have a pie brought over and someone cuts a section of that, that's a portion of it, a share. Well, what part or portion does he that believes have with an infidel or an unbeliever? The answer is none. Because if you're going to heaven and that person is going to hell, you don't have the same part or lot in life as that individual. What agreement! Paul finally says. And the word here really is a monetary term, a banking term. I know that's interesting, but it's what agreement, what alliance, what joint deposit. And you know if you pool your money together in some banking situation or some financial alliance, if you do that, it speaks to the agreement, even the approval or assent that you have for maybe what you're investing together in. So what agreement like that is there between the temple of God with idols? Now you can see in all these terms, there are rhetorical questions, but the answer is an obvious none. They don't have anything in common. So be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. It speaks to your personal decision to fellowship or not fellowship. Fellowship means to share. It means to join. It means to have part and agreement and concord in all those terms. It means that. So you're making a personal decision of whom you will share your life and of whom you will not. And when we talk about unity in the Lord's church, we are talking about spiritually, religiously, we have joined together. We have that alliance or agreement. We believe in the same things, or we're working toward that, but certainly in major things we agree, and in smaller things we are working for that perfect unity. But we have all agreed together that the truth is in Jesus Christ, there we will find the truth, and we're trying to come in harmony with that. And so the idea of who I choose to spend my time with is very important. So let's, let's go further with that and talk about 2 Corinthians 6 from this standpoint. Socializing. Socializing is a very important part of most people's lives. I would venture to say to most people it is the most important part of their lives. Because we build and we maintain relationships. And if you think about the very term relationship, it speaks to how we relate to one another. Montel is my wife. I relate to her. She relates to me as husband and wife. Juliet is my daughter. We relate as father and daughter. Relationships, some of them are very close in life. They are family relationships. But I also have very close friends that I've built a friendship with. And I've maintained that friendship. And sometimes there's been, you know, we've not been in harmony. And we've been in disagreement and all of those terms we previously looked at. But we, as we say, we work through that and we maintain that close relationship. And there are companionships. Again, how close my wife and I are. We're companions in this life. So we build and maintain relationships and some of them are very close. And we do this through socializing. Jules and I have talked many times about the first date Montel and I ever had. It's very, very strange in one sense. 
And I mean from this standpoint. And this may be the same with you. I dated a number of girls before I met Montel. Most of you know we married fairly late as people marry, fairly late in life, in our later 30s. But I had come out of my last relationship. I had been in a relationship with a girl. I had dated a girl about a year and eight months and never felt close enough to her in all that time to marry her. In fact, in the last several months, it was obvious she wanted to get married. I did not want to. And so we mutually agreed. It's best if we just call this off and get on with our lives because this is not going to be, it's not going to work. Now, I dated her about a year and eight months and never felt close enough to her to marry you, but I kid you not, I knew the first date with Montel, very first one. Not that I would necessarily marry, but I told her this. We may not ever end up married, but I feel like you and I will end up being close friends because that connection was there the first time we ever met. Well, not the first time we ever met, Montel, but... Because we actually met a number of years earlier, and I tried to speak, and she wouldn't. So, But the first date we ever had, okay? Now, here's the point. I, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. But here's the point. We developed these things through socializing. Montel and I went out like most people do. We, we had dinner somewhere. And then we went and talked for a while. And it was that beginning of socializing where our relationship started. Notice some of the bullet points I've got up here. Let's run through them quickly. We use the term socialize to talk about engaging in activities with people, eating a meal, playing some sport, whatever it might be, leisure activities, recreational activities, social activities in general. Academic, you know, you have academic relationships with people. You have occupational you know, relationships, your co-workers as we talk about them. And we stick that word, that little uh, prefix co in front of a lot of things. But your co-workers, etc. Etc., etc., etc. We speak of these relationships and we talk about these activities we do, whether it's eating or singing, as we'll, look, we'll do over here, or any of a host of other things we do. We speak of that and people who are in our quote-unquote social circle or circles, and we talk about socializing. But I dare say that what is being lost many times today when you talk about socializing with people is what is inherent in the word. Psychologists don't miss this. So I want you to listen carefully to this. You are probably well aware of this, but you just may not always think about it. Because inherent in the word socialize is the idea, a very important word, of adapting. Now, if you're talking about biology, for example, and you're talking about certain animals, and you go back and look at some animals that are extinct, some part of the species, you know, some species within a kind that is extinct versus one that exists today. Uh, immediately coming to my mind is a huge wolf that used to roam North America called the dire wolf. It didn't make it. The smaller wolf is the one that made it, the one we commonly look at as the gray wolf or whatever. The reason why is because the smaller one could more easily adapt. There were changes that came. Certain animals were becoming extinct. Man was migrating here and hunting them out. And on and on it went. You can look that up and, and talk about those two. But it is the species that adapts. Now, what does that have to do with socializing? Everything. 
Because inherent in the word socializing is the idea of adapting to the ways others conduct themselves. Why do you not want a child to be kept separate and isolated from other children? Because they learn how to conduct themselves in society as they adapt to what other children do. And that's not lost on adults either. When we get together, when we socialize, there is a give and take process and we are adapting to others in society. In fact, psychologists will talk about socializing in the sense of becoming, notice the the italicized phrase here, fit or being trained for a social environment. A lot of you are probably looking at that and saying, all right, I think I know where he's going with this. And you'd be right. Because whether we like to admit it or not, when we are socializing with people, go back to bullet point number one, no matter what social circle that is, no matter what group of people that is, no matter what we're calling, we are adapting. We are being fit, becoming fit and trained to be part of that group. It speaks to the influence, the training, the teaching from others with whom we socialize, hence, yoked together. Be not unequally yoked together. And the reason why he asked all of these questions, what part does this have, what concord does this have, because if I'm going to do some adapting, I need to step back for a moment and say, wait a minute, what am I adapting to? What's changing in me to make me fit company for this other person? Now, that's a question I want to be asking. Whether we're talking about brothers and sisters, the fact we're yoked together, members of the body, that's an important question for me. Because, you see, here in this church, we have a group of people, and we are uniting together. And that's our goal, and we speak of unity, and we speak of that being a good thing, and it should be and can be, unless we are uniting in what's wrong. And then I don't want to be part of that. And I don't want to adapt to that. And if that means compromising the truth or being part of something that's not right, I don't want to be fit for that or trained to be like that. And that's true of a church or it's true of any other relationship. It can even be true of family, friendships, companionships, or whatever it might be. So when we speak of of socializing, I want you to turn with me to a hard passage. And this is one that gets quoted, perhaps abused, (laughs) you know, like 2 Corinthians 6. And unfortunately, I think the meaning is often lost. But let's talk about 1 Corinthians 15. Read together with me. In verses 33 and 34. Be not deceived. Evil, the King James says, communications. A lot of your translation. Evil companions. Corrupt good manners, ways, morals. Awake to righteousness, verse 34. And sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. Let's turn these verses down and talk about them. Evil companionships, literally what it says in the original... Evil companionships corrupt good morals. What does that mean? So I'm going to look at the individual terms. Evil companionships. I think we all understand what a companionship is. Two people sharing something, bonded together, closely connected, closely tied together. Evil companionships corrupt 
The word means to spoil or ruin or destroy. Okay, what, what is being spoiled or ruined or destroyed? Good. Now, this is not your normal word, not even your normal two words for good. Usually in the Bible, when you see the word good, it's either morally good or it's aesthetically pleasing. It's beautiful. It's not either one of these terms. It is rather a far less used term that means something that's useful or beneficial or productive, even gracious. Now think back to the idea that we were just discussing of socializing. I'm learning from other people. I'm adapting to other people. I'm taking part. And, and you know that's true. Get a, you know, talk about a group of friends. Whoever it is that is in your closest relationships, I venture to say that there are things you watch together, things you speak about together, language you use, even code language. Three or four of you can get together and someone can say something and everybody on the outside will not have a clue what you're talking about. But you will. We're adapting. We're training. We're drawing closer and closer and closer. Well, it's what I'm taking. Is it harmless? Is it good? Is it useful? Is it beneficial? Productive? Is it giving, profiting me in the sense of being gracious? Giving me something I need? Or is it not? Notice, good, uh, evil companionships corrupt good morals. The word is literally ethics in this passage. And so, are my ethics, <coughs> what are ethics? Well, they're practices you have based on a moral decision. There, it is behavior you have based on what you believe, your scruples, your ethics. It is your habits. It's what's happening in my social interaction, my socializing. Is it being built up? Produced, you know, productive, promoted, everything that's right and good and that I believe and what I want to live by? Or is it being destroyed as I adapt to the people around me? As I'm being trained by them and becoming fit to be part of that circle that I put myself in? Now, those are hard questions. But evil companionships corrupt good, corrupt good morals. Paul says in verse 34... <coughs> Maybe that'll do it. Paul says in verse 34, don't be deceived. Don't be misled. And I think that's a great way to translate it today because you're being told by so many people not to be concerned with everything I'm preaching here this morning. Don't be misled, Paul says. Literally, when it says awake to righteousness, the word is sober up. And I think we all understand what sober up means. So sober up righteously. It's like don't be drunk with the advice and everything you're getting from everywhere else. Sober up to what God is saying is right. Sober up righteously and do not sin. For some had ignorance of God. And you know when you say that, if I walked up to anybody in this room and I asked this question, do you know some people do not know God? You'd look at me like, well, duh. And that's right. But somehow, when I start thinking about my close associations, my ties, the people I considered myself to be part of that group and all of that, I lose that. Paul is saying, do you realize some people do not have knowledge of God? Do you realize that? 
the point is, do you realize the effect that can have on you? I speak to your shame. Now, what I'm about to say you might find surprising. Because oftentimes when I've heard this passage preached from people like me, immediately people start talking about your associations need to be strictly, only, primarily, etc., with members in the church. And they start talking about members of the church and you know, speaking as though that's the be-all, end-all answer to everything. And I'm going to tell you something. Some of the people that have corrupted my good morals and brought me down more than anybody else in my life have been members of the church. So I am not going to stand up here and say, just because someone is not a Christian, quote-unquote, does not mean that person will necessarily be a bad influence. I can tell you about people right now that I know who are not Christians. I keep trying, but... They're not. They're not Christians, and yet they are great influences on me. For example, I would love to go and teach my father the gospel today. If my father called me, if he texted me right now and said, Michael, I want to talk about the Bible, I want to talk about obeying the gospel, I would say, guys, i got to go to Alabama. That's not going to happen. I believe but I will tell you this. There are things about my father I have never known a better example. My father is as honest, for example, as the day is long. My father will not cheat anyone. And if it means, and I have seen him personally, take a loss of thousands and thousands of dollars because he refused to cheat someone. That's a great example for me. It builds up my reform from going from a thief to trying to be someone honest. I need not look any further than the example of my own father. And there are other things like that. And I'm going to tell you something else. It does not mean inversely that just because someone is a member of the church, a so-called Christian, that they're going to strengthen you or edify you. There are plenty of people walking around right now that are members of the Church of Christ and plenty of people who if you ask them, they would tell you quickly they are a Christian and they are not. They don't live like Christ, they don't act like Christ, and they don't help other people to be like Christ. So in what sense are they Christians? But I will tell you this. Paul says evil companionships corrupt good morals and it is a warning to the wise. You know, what I'm saying this morning is this. What God is teaching us in both these passages I've looked at and looked at extensively this morning is this. You will be influenced by other people. You will adapt to them. You can't help it. It's part of being a human being. If you hear someone else say something and you think that sounds good, you will repeat it. You will do as they do, talk as they talk, be as they are. That's part of being human. And so you want to surround yourselves selectively and carefully with people that are going to help you be like Jesus. That's what Paul is teaching. Let me make one final observation and close with this. Socializing has purpose because someone will adapt. And that's the whole point of socializing. And as a Christian, I must then closely watch myself while paying close attention to the teaching or doctrine of Christ 
I've got to continue in that. For in doing this, I'll save both myself and those who hear me. That's what 1 Timothy 4 says. So I want to pay close attention to me. And I want to pay close attention to the doctrine or teaching of Christ and what's helping that or hurting that. I want to build and maintain close relationships with those who are Christians. And I mean real Christians. I want people who are a positive influence on me. Good, positive influence on me. I'm not separating from my father. My father is not trying to drag me down to be something that the Lord tells me not to be. My father is rather promoting good things within me, helping me as far as some of those things are concerned. I want people who are a positive influence on me. To those people, I want to, as we technically call it, extend fellowship or the right hand of fellowship, Galatians 2. But naturally, I want to separate. And if you want to call it this, withdraw fellowship. I don't want to share with people who are detrimental to me. Dangerous, harmful is what the word detriment means. And people who negatively influence me. People I can't help. You see, I want to help people to be a Christian. That's my job, my lot in life. Save those who hear me. But if I can't help them and they are hurting me, why would I want to be part of that? In fact, I would say it like Jesus says. I call it the Jesus principle when it comes to socializing. Because like the passage Ekon read for us, but I'd like for you to turn to Mark chapter 9. And let's look at Mark's account here and notice what he says. So Mark 9, start with me in verse 41. Whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, Notice, small things like socializing, but it's in my name. Because you belong to Christ, well, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Now, on the other hand, whosoever shall offend, that is, cause to stumble one of these little ones that believe in me, it's better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. But notice, Jesus doesn't only address the person that's doing the harming, He addresses the individual that's being harmed. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Now, that's not easy. I remember an old episode on Little House on the Prairie, you know, Little Tragedy on the Prairie. Well, the weekly tragedy on that show was the mother got an infection in her leg and everybody was gone. Now, if you think back to the 1800s and getting an infection, that could be, I mean, you could die from that easily. She made a poultice to draw the infection out. A couple of days went by, it just kept getting worse. It wasn't drawing it out. She sat down in the floor with an axe and decided, last resort, I'm cutting my leg off. She couldn't bring herself to do it, passed out, went to sleep, exhausted on the floor, woke up the next morning and the poultice finally had worked. That's the way you did things back then. If you were infected, it was going to turn into blood poisoning and you were going to die. Gangrene and all of that. You cut it off. If your hand offends you, if your leg offends you, if your foot offends you, if your eye offends you, you get rid of it. Jesus isn't talking about body parts though, is He? He's talking about people who bring other people down. He's talking about people who cause other people to stumble. And if that's what's going on in my life, I need to get rid of it. It's hard. 
It's as hard as if I had to sit down with an axe and chop off part of my leg. I don't want to say to somebody, you know what? We just can't hang out anymore together. What's happening every time I get to you is, we are doing this, and I don't believe in that. And I want you to change. And that person said, well, I'm not changing. No way, no how, not going to happen. And that's what Jesus is saying. You have to look to you and what's happening to you when you socialize. And you have to make those hard decisions. Part of being a Christian is knowing who to give your time to and the benefit or the harm that's coming from it. Here this morning and you're not a Christian. I promise you, if you come back at 4 o'clock, the sermon at 4 o'clock is going to be a lot more positive. Okay. It's part two. Okay. But you know what? Seriously, if you're not a Christian, you believe in Jesus. You know He's the Son of God. You'll confess that. You do want to change. You realize that some of the things I'm saying this morning are very difficult parts of that change. A lot of people here understand that. You want to be baptized to have your sins washed away. You want to start your life over. Begin a new life in Jesus Christ. Maybe it is that you're listening to this sermon and you're saying, you know what, if I'm going to make that kind of conscious change in my life, I'm going to need a lot of help and I need a lot of strength. Maybe you want to ask for the Lord to help you in that this morning. Won't you please come while we stand?